Hello and welcome to Landscape Photography World, the podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. I'm Grant Swinburne and I'll be your host on this show discussing the wonderful world of landscape photography. This time I'll be talking to Glenn Crouch of iGear Photography about his photography journey. Glenn is based in Sydney, Australia and has been taking photos in some shape or form for most of his life. You'll find him shooting most weekends at Sydney's many seascaping locations depending on the weather conditions. We discuss where he got started, his passion for seascaping, printing his work and how his planning using weather apps helps him decide where and when to shoot and much, much more. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Glenn. Welcome to Landscape Photography World. How are you going? Good, mate. Yourself? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Pretty chipper. <laughs> no worries. Well, thanks for having me on, mate. It's, uh, Absolute pleasure. To, I've, been, I've been listening to the last few episodes you've punched out. It's uh, great to see someone producing some content on a, on a regular schedule in, the, in our you. part of the world. So, yeah. Yeah, just trying to keep myself busy while I can't shoot. So uh, <laughs> really, re- really a, a, an activity to replace my photography at the moment. <laughs> yeah, you're not. You're certainly not alone in that uh, being in that yeah. situation. It's uh, but, yeah, it's um, been a struggle. Anyway, we'll uh, we'll, we'll we, we won't talk about that. I'm, I'm, I'm sick of talking about the. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can imagine the, the the lockdown and so forth. So yeah. Where did you start with photography and landscape photography in particular? Oh, gee, well, um, uh, I've had a camera in my hand since I was fairly young, actually. Um, it really goes back to my mother. My my mum was quite a keen photographer, just not so much uh, artistic, but she was just a recorder of memories. Yep. Um, and so I think I was probably about eight or nine uh, when I was given my first camera, just a little, you know, the old, the old uh, Instamatic point yep. and shoot film cameras. Just had the, you know, the little canister in the back and all the rest of it. Um, and I just remember, you know, getting that first roll of film developed, and you know, which probably took me two months to actually fill, and um, <laughs> taking it to the chemists and waiting for it to be developed. And you're, you're you know. really selective with your shots, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but uh, and you know, I remember opening up that paper envelope, and it just it just felt like such magic to me to yeah. suddenly seeing all this stuff that you've recorded um so that that was it for me it's i don't think i've ever uh not owned a camera of some shape or form since then um and certainly uh, landscape photography came into my life uh about 14 15 years ago i suppose um probably during the transition to digital um i still had a film camera which was kind of a little um just another point and shoot, which I had. And then digital was sort of starting to grow. Um, this is probably at the point when there were, I think, you know, three or four megapixel cameras were out at the time yep. and um, decided I wanted to take the leap and uh, bought myself a little Fuji, one of the Fuji bridging cameras. So oh, yeah, not yeah. quite an SLR, but not quite a point and shoot. It was kind of those yeah. mid-range ones. Um, but I remember I was living in, uh, I was living in Woolamaloo at the time in an apartment complex. And I remember going up to the roof one night 
with this new digital camera of mine and a very shonky $5 cheapo tripod that I had, um, setting it up in the middle of the night and taking a photo of the city skyline. Um, But then taking it back downstairs, putting it onto the computer and seeing it straight away. And that was it. I was hooked. Um, And, yeah, kind of, you know, I've dabbled in multiple genres. So I've done a bit of portraiture and I still do macro and, um, but, um, I'm originally from WA and I grew up on the coast. Um, so seascapes were always going to be my thing. Um, I just, I love the ocean. I love being around the ocean and, uh, and I'm lucky in that I'm an early riser by nature. So sunrises don't present any sort of challenge to me. I'm, I'm normally up naturally awake at five o'clock in the morning anyway. So, um, yeah, at, uh, I once I got my first first SLR, which was a which was a Nikon D eighty, um, just got involved with a couple of camera clubs and yep. uh, got invited out on a couple of shoots on the northern beaches, and uh, that was it. I, I was hooked, addicted, oh. and uh, have not stopped ever since. Just uh, just been shooting consistently since then. So yeah. 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 Well, you're certainly known for your uh, seascapes and cityscapes. What what is it about the seascape that grabs you and you know made you fall in love with it? Oh, look, I, I think it's uh, f- photography for me has it's it's become quite. I my favourite part of any shoot, particularly sunrise shoots on the ocean, is there's without fail every shoot I do. There is always that moment where it's just about being present and just enjoying the moment yeah. regardless of the conditions. Um, and um, I love that just sort of meditative aspect of it, just, you know, standing there, you're either, you know, you're knee-deep in a four-metre swell or, you know, that's an absolute colour bomb just reflecting off the water. Like, th- that's it for me. That's just what I absolutely adore yeah. Um, and and I just get so much pleasure and joy out of that. So um, whether I'm by myself or with you know twenty other togs standing in line somewhere, um, but yeah, that's that's what makes it for me is is that core component of uh, of just uh, you know getting out of that time in the morning when you know so many people are still asleep and you know you're out there just enjoying the conditions. So yeah, that's yeah, totally. that's a big thing yeah. for me. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it, it's exactly what I love about it is, as you say, that that presence of you know you you've taken the time for yourself. You're you're in that moment. You know whether you whether you got sand between your toes or you know you're standing on a rock shelf knee deep in swell, as you said. You know it's a uh, it's a pretty good feeling. I I, I don't think there's anything any anything that uh, comes near it. No, totally agree. Yeah. So what? What? When was the last time you got out to shoot, and where? Where did you go? I know it's probably <laughs> a dim, dim memory. Uh, I actually, uh, I did cheat a bit, and I actually took some notes today because um, I'm fairly familiar with a couple of the questions that you ask, and I can tell you exactly the last time I went out for a shoot, which was the 23rd of June. <laughs> so, yeah. That's how sad that is. And that was actually just down on the harbour shooting the Opera House and I got an absolute colour bomb. Um, so, yeah, I was checking that t- today. I thought, oh, yeah. God, how long ago was it? And 
went back through my archive and then I started almost weeping looking at the sky that I got that morning and how many of those skies I've missed since. So, but yeah, so it's it's been a while. It's it's been a minute. So obviously for for obvious reasons. Yeah, where whereabouts was it? Oh, it's shooting the Opera House. So I was down Opera at House. Um, oh, okay. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Um, uh, I, I missed that bit. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was just doing the I was doing the lazy thing. You know, it's it's the privilege I have that I I do live relatively close to the harbour. So um, you know, when I'm not feeling particularly motivated to drive anywhere, I've got the luxury of you know being able to just drive across the bridge or just down to Kirribilli yeah. or something like that. And and getting a, a dawn there, so I'm, I'm I'm a bit bloody sport, and I'm well aware of it. But, yeah, yeah. So do you, do you think where you live influences how you shoot in a big way? Um, not very much. It, not really. Um, I certainly take advantage of it in in that um, you know I'm I'm kind of in the Wollstonecraft area, so I'm quite central. Yeah. Um, but I used to live out in castle hill so okay yeah um so i'm a little bit north, further out than that again yeah a bit further out but that never deterred me once once i got into seascaping in particular you know i, I probably the first couple of years that i was shooting i shot pretty much every location in the city basin so i was not deterred by you know getting up at you know three o'clock in the morning and driving two hours down the coast or something like that from yeah. from you know, the Hills District. So, um, no, it's never really, never really influenced me in that regard. It's um, if I'm keen for a, for a shoot and I'm keen for a location, I'll get up whenever and, and go. So, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, tra- travelling around doesn't bother you either. I mean, it's not all about Sydney and uh, the, the, the local beaches, is it? Absolutely not. No, I've been, I've been known to get up at, um, at ridiculous hours and, you know, go down to, you know, Kiama or further south and yep. up to Newcastle or, um, you know, way out west. So, um, you know, you got to be in it to win it and um, you only miss, you know, the shots that you don't take. So That's um, exactly it. Yeah. You've got to be yeah. out there. So what's the Absolutely. furthest you've, what, what's the furthest you've done for a, a sort of, sort of a, a, a single shoot? Not, not one where you've planned to go out for a holiday or, you know, flown overseas, obviously, but, you know, just, just taken off from home first thing in the morning at, at ridiculous o'clock. Yeah, I think um, the furthest would be a south shoot. Um, that I think Newcastle's definitely, or well, just south of Newcastle, I think is the furthest I've driven yep. north. Um, but down south, I've driven way past, um, like south of Kiama, down that yeah, way yeah. along the coast there. Um, haven't quite made the Sapphire Coast yet. That's It's been on my list for many years, but I just haven't managed to get down there yet. But uh, I think the earliest I've gotten up was probably around 2 3 o'clock in the morning yeah, to, uh, to get in the car and drive. So that, that's uh, that's not getting much sleep. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. I think I'm 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 kind of I was kind of conditioned for it though. I I, I spent 20 years in the military and I did a lot of shift work. Yep. Um, so I think my body's just, you know, obviously the older I get, the harder it is, but, um, but I, yeah, the, getting up at odd hours and just having to suddenly switch on and activate and 
operate and do stuff it's kind of second nature so yeah. that bit doesn't it doesn't impact me on that great deal mind you i'm not saying when i get back i don't have a little nana nap in the afternoon or something oh, I've, like done, that. I've, I've, uh, I've done that in the morning i've got got, got back from the shoot at like nine in the morning because i've been out from from about two or three in the morning and uh yep you know nine in the morning <laughs> yeah, oh, away yeah. on the lounge yeah <laughs> recovery is very important Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so what what are you trying to express, I guess, through your photography? Why what what is it that you're you're getting out of it or what what is it that you're trying to give to other people? Oh look, I, this is a really interesting question. Um I don't think I've ever truly adequately answered that question. Um but over the last few years I've learnt what my images mean to other people in that I've participated in exhibitions and um, things like um, in my area here, we have an arts trail, which I've participated in the last um, three years. Um, and I enjoy, I'm, I'm, I'm a long exposure shooter. Um, mm-hmm. It was the very first uh, camera technique I ever learnt um, and I think over the years I've kept doing it simply because I think as, as technology progresses um, it's one of the last I think camera techniques that you can't replicate adequately with a phone um, so I kind of now divide up my my work between what I call um, record shots so you know something that's handheld at a really fast shutter speed that's if you put that next to taking the same photo with a, with a phone there would be no difference on the screen like you wouldn't be able to tell the difference but obviously um you know if you if you do something that's 30 seconds long well you know yes you can technically replicate that with a phone but not with a single click click of the button um yeah, so definitely. i'm i'm into i'm sort of into creating particularly with seascapes you know I, i'm i just simply i love simple images that capture flow and energy and um you know i love big angry stormy stormy skies and you know big swells things like that that um uh, and what i found over the years talking to people that you know are standing there looking at my work and you know god forbid actually purchase something um it's interesting to see their reactions. And, yeah. and I think it's something that as landscape photographers, I think we tend to undersell and perhaps underappreciate sometimes is that particularly if you've been shooting for a while and you build a bit of an archive of images and, and things like that, you tend to forget just how rare some of these conditions actually are. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and last year I, I sold a print to a lady and it was one of my foggy bridge shots you know when the when there's been really uber thick fog on the harbor and you know you can basically only see you know a quarter of the bridge in, in the image and when i explained to her just how rarely that actually happens in sydney um yep. you know we get fog and we get mist and stuff like that for for the harbor to be really socked in a real piece super where you can barely see anything it's quite rare yeah um so it happens so yeah it's, it might, might happen a couple of times a year you know, yeah, if you're lucky. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. And and when I explained that to her, I think it may have motivated her to actually buy it because nice. she was standing there holding it in her hands and she was obviously tossing it up. And then I yeah, told her yeah. the story of how I actually captured the image. And yeah. it was a morning of 
I was actually woken up. Um, it was just a few years ago, but I was woken up by the foghorn of a cruise liner that was coming oh, in wow. the harbour. <laughs> so I woken up to this weird noise and I thought, what the hell is that? And then, uh, you know, brain kicks into gear and I realised that it was it was a ship's horn. Um, so, of course, I opened up the curtains and looked out the window and I couldn't see it. Um, <laughs> and then ran to the computer and booted up and, and looked at the, um, the Sydney Harbour webcam and I couldn't see anything on that. Uh, and that was it. I was like, grabbed the camera, jumped in the car, you know, flew down to Kirribilli uh, and ran around like a madman for about an hour taking various angles and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, so I, I think it's it's just about capturing that moment. And and But I think what's been most rewarding for me is is having those conversations with people and, and connecting with people that are actually viewing your work. I, I just yeah, think yeah. that's kind of the ultimate thing really it's the ultimate feedback um it, it trumps any sort of digital view, viewer you know feedback that you might get I, I think that nothing beats that face-to-face discussion and conversations and and, and hearing stories from people about how they connect to your work so yeah, yeah definitely yeah i know i mean i was talking to somebody the other day actually and one of the things that we were talking about is that and i i think a lot of people particularly, you know, people that don't get up early and take photos like we do or, you know, go go out when when the fog's out, you know, <laughs> they look at look out the window, see it's foggy and go back, you know, pull the covers over yep. their head and go back to sleep. Yep. You know? um, but, you know, aside from those, those rare moments, they don't realise when they sit, look at the photos that, you know, a, a photographer puts out, these are the highlights. And oh, absolutely. They're also the edited highlights because <laughs> they're only selected two, maybe three. If you're really lucky, you'll get six, you know, yeah. banging yeah. images that you're prepared to put out in the public out of maybe, yeah. you know, you might shoot 500 shots in the morning, you know, shoot and flow or something. And yeah. all, you're, all you're showing then is the absolute edited highlights. So that Abs- might have been an absolutely absolutely. fabulous day. Fabulous yep. morning, but you're getting this little slice of it, and that's it. Absolutely, yeah. I I raised this point last year um, during a, my local arts trail. So that the arts trail in my area, it's um, the suburb I'm in, has quite an artistic community. There's a lot of painters and sculptors and things like that, and yeah, they've been running this arts trail for a few years now, and um, and it's literally just I literally set up a mini gallery in my carport so i get some prints out i hang them up and i'll put some smaller prints out but what i've been doing every year is i put out so i do my own personal project every year which is a an a review a photo book for the previous year um and i put that book out um for people just to flick through just to see because it's quite a good obviously just the review of the previous year and every, at the front of every annual that I do, I list the number of sunrises that I shot in that year. Yeah. And yeah. so the um, the 2019 year, I shot 106 sunrises. That's a pretty good average, yeah. Yeah, which is kind of, that's pretty much my average generally. Yeah. Um, and I had this lady who was reading through my book and she went, how on earth do you get up and shoot 106 sunrises? And, and she was quite astounded. And then she was yeah. flicking through the book and she was, she said to me, you know, like, oh, I'm not sure there's 106 sunrise images in here. And I said, well, you're not seeing the crap ones. You're, you're That's seeing right. this yeah. stuff. You know, <laughs> the this ones is, that I got up, I did shoot, but I didn't, yeah, <laughs> I didn't think were worthy enough to print or 
that's, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's yeah, you're not you're not seeing the crappy stuff that just doesn't make the cut. So yeah. absolutely, it's a very curated, you know, sort of slice yeah. that you're seeing. Yeah. Definitely. Well, I, I think that's you know generally what most people are you know putting out there is obviously you know they're not going to well that, that that said I have seen some interesting stuff posted online as well that you kind of go really <laughs> okay um, and yeah not wanting to disparage anyone's artistic you know uh, interpretation oh, of something you know but uh, yeah. yeah you kind of look at some of them and go okay but most people are really out there to you know just showcase their their best and the best of their best. They're not out there to show you the blooper reel. I mean, yeah, some, some, some people might show a bit of the blooper reel as a, you know, in a story as a bit of a joke or something, but uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's very much a, a curated uh, view of the world, I think. And that, oh, definitely. And that, I, it's one thing that I wanted to touch on with you, you know, is, is one of the, um, I think, it's not necessarily a massive negative, but it can be a negative for some people. Um, and again, I've spoken to a few people about this, but the the impact of that edited highlights reel that people see whilst living their own blooper reel, you know, can really have a negative effect on some people with social media in particular. And oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. And and. I find myself, you know, sometimes slipping into that headspace, you know, you're scrolling across Instagram um, and particularly when you follow a lot of uh, overseas photographers, you know, yep. um, uh, the Nick Pages and, and, and the European guys, and these are people that can get on a plane and, and be in the French Alps in, you know, an hour. Yeah. Um, and, and they're putting up work that it's breathtaking. But yeah. I have to remind myself, like, well, that's their backyard. You know, that's that's, right. that's, yeah. that's like me driving down and shooting the opera house. You and know, and like, a lot of them will look at our shots of Sydney and the beaches and whatever and go, I wish I could do that. And they can't. Yeah, they yeah don't absolutely. Have and and sort of thing. I, yeah. that's what, how I remind myself that, you exactly. know, it's because it's, yeah. it's very easy to get sucked into that trap, of, of, especially the big, a lot of the big landscape photographers who, again, are obviously posting only their you know, A-level stuff that from yeah. their archives and things like that. But you've got to remind yourself where they live and what they've got access to. And, you know, like Nick Page can, you know, get in his car and, and drive down the road and he's he's shooting, you know, shelf clouds and storm bolts and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. But it's like, oh, well, yeah, okay. You know, that's his backyard, but it's, um, you know, it's... Mind you, we, we get some good good storms in summer when we, uh, you know, when, when they're on, you get... Uh, you get a nice shelf cloud over the opera house or over the city or the Harbour Bridge and it, it looks pretty spectacular too. You know. Absolutely. And I'm, I still and I'm haven't still got chasing, one of those. I'm still chasing Bible. that image. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I, I've seen quite a few of them, but I, I still haven't got there for, for those sorts of things. Unfortunately, I'm usually at work when they uh, when they roll through at like three or four in the afternoon. Same which, here. Uh, which is yeah. typically when they hit. So uh, yeah, look, um, it, it took me probably about six years to get my very first shelf cloud um, uh, in in Sydney, um, and it was the most bizarre, unusual thing because you know normally shelf clouds in Sydney sort of come up from the south, um, whereas this thing it was monstrous, um, yeah. and it was it was pure luck. I just happened to look at the radar because it was a great eye. Um, 
And this this front, this shelf cloud, it was kilometers long, and it was yeah. so long that's how it showed up on the radar. I had this line, but it was it came in from the northwest. Yeah. Um, so that's unusual was, here, yeah. Bizarre, absolutely yeah. bizarre. And I was lucky enough to be able to get home, get in the car, drive down to the harbour, um, and um, you know I managed to get quite a few frames of it as it came over Cockatoo Island and stuff like that. So. Um, it's the only one I've managed to catch, but I don't have any of the southerly ones yet. So, you know, it's, yeah, yeah. it's, it's on the list. And But, yeah, yeah, it's one of those things. Yeah. So do you, do you find yourself now getting more picky in taking your shots when, you, when, when you're out there? You know, I mean, I, I, depending on where I am and what I'm doing, I, I can certainly come away with easily, you know, four or 500, you know, exposures um, with, with the way that I shoot you're probably lucky to see I'd, I'd only look at a 10th of them anyway, because I'm, I'm bracketing. So, you know, yeah. if I'm taking five exposures at a time. I'm only looking at the, the center one to see, okay, have I got, have I nailed the composition? Yeah. <laughs> and is the lighting yeah. kind of what I want, you know, and then, yeah. and then picking the, the, the one or two out of that. But uh, do you find yourself, uh, being more picky and, and and so forth with conditions or, or or do you just shoot whatever's there? Uh, I've always been a fairly fussy shooter primarily when it comes to conditions and simply because uh, when I first started shooting and, and I was and I started shooting sunrises, I got up every weekend and went out regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it didn't matter what it was, time of the year, conditions, anything. I just got up and went. I just went out and shot. Yeah. Um, and I think it was probably after the first 18 months, two years, and I started going back and reviewing stuff and I realised just how much crap there was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I thought, well, there's got to be a better way of doing this. There's got to be a smarter way of doing this. And at, at the time I knew very little about, you know, weather forecasting and, and what was actually available to sort of aid you in that regard. And that's that started my going down the rabbit hole of, you know, cloud forecasting and yeah, yeah, soil yeah. forecasting and all that sort of stuff. So um, I'm not a fan of, uh, of clear skies. Um, I know some people, you know, embrace it and they love it, but I'm – if I look out the window and there's not a cloud in the sky, I'm going back to bed. It's it's just that simple. Um, I, I just it's just not my thing. I hate clear skies. Um, you know, sky replacement software was invented for people like me that um, that just hate clear skies in an image. Um, so yeah, look. But everything if there's cloud of some shape or form, uh, if if it's reasonable, if there's reasonable coverage, my my rule of thumb is, you know, I anything under thirty five percent coverage, I tend to not go out for these days. Yeah, well, um, yeah. so I'm. I'm so you're making, to, making that call even before you've got out of got out of the yeah, house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I generally, you know, over the years, I've had people uh, message me and say, you know, oh, you know, where are you shooting? You know, this weekend, and they message me on a Monday, and I said, ask me again on Friday night because yeah. that's generally when I make the ask call. Ask me at three o'clock on Saturday morning. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. So, fun, funnily enough, that's usually when I decide where I'm going to shoot. Uh, yep. And it, it it's partly looking at the apps, but it's also just sometimes, okay, well, I know conditions are going to be good. I'm spot for choice. Which one do I want to do today? You know? Yep. 
Um, yeah. Because you know when when you when you can see you know you got you know eighty to ninety percent high cloud cover in in the forecast, and you poke your head out the window and you go, yeah, I can see that cirrus and yeah. you know streaky cloud, and I know I, oh, I yeah. know there's going to be a burn. Um, yeah. Yeah. then it doesn't really matter where I go. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Just, yeah. just about picking the right place, you know. And to, and, to be yeah. honest, a lot of that comes from, okay, what time of year is it? What direction is the sun going to therefore come up? You know, is it going to come up, you know, high in the uh, in the north or lower yeah. down in the south in summer, you know? And so yeah. then, I, yeah. then I start thinking about, okay, well, that's where that, – that's because – you know, you kind of you kind of have an idea about some of the comps. Some mornings, though, it's okay. Well, let's go somewhere I haven't been, and you know, do that. Yeah, absolutely, it's good skies, and I haven't been there. So, even if I struggle to find an actual comp for the first time, at least I've yep. got a, a nice sky behind it, and you oh, can usually find something. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 one of the things that does drive my decision making process is that I I have a personal master list of locations and yep. i have a list of locations i've caught color bombs at so if, if it's looking like it's going to be an absolute burner i go to my list to see okay where have i actually caught one before and where haven't i and that's actually what dictates where i go so yeah. quite often you know i um very very good friend of mine uh liz bell uh who's my regular shooting yep. partner um we have this friday sort of evening discussion like How's it looking tomorrow? Where do you want to go? What what, what are your what's your thinking? And she always asks me first now because she knows full well I'm consulting a list as to <laughs> what might be happening. And you know, if it's going to be a burn, all right. Oh, well, I know not to ask to go here or go there because we've already got one there. So um yeah, but most definitely. And 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 again, going back to you know, talking to uh members of the public, is I've I've had this discussion many, many times with people who look at a particular image and and just go ooh, ooh ah you know wow that's really pretty yeah and i always say to them like would you like to know the story behind it because it gives them an appreciation that it's it's not just luck there's so much planning and and you know thinking that goes into these the creation of a lot of these images so oh, absolutely yeah yeah you know when people hear like you know well if you're a cloud obsessive, like, you know, by Thursday you start looking at what the long-range forecast is and then Friday evening you start looking at what cloud levels are going to be out there, right, eh? Yeah. Oh, it's going to be low cloud. Okay, let's go to the swell forecast. What's the swell doing? What's the tide yeah, doing, right? Where's doing? the sun yes. coming yep. from? All these factors that, you know, create those conditions that you might be capturing. So, yeah, it's it's interesting to hear. Like, people just don't, you know, and I... I often think that this is one of the reasons I think photography sometimes struggles, um, you know, in the art world, in the larger art world, is I don't think there's that much appreciation for just how much, how much well, work don't, goes don't, into Don't it. you just turn up and push a button, you know? And that's yeah, exactly. It. Yeah. <laughs> as, as the saying goes, F11 and turn up. That's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, most definitely. So I, I, I find it fascinating having those conversations because it just, you know, try and give people a bit more of a larger appreciation of, of what they're looking at and, and what went into yeah. actually creating that image. But so. it, it, even beyond the planning, when, when you get on site, you know, there's, okay, you've got to work the composition and understand what it is that you're going to 
you know, what, what's my subject? What's my foreground? What am I, you know, where, where, where is the sun? Am I going to get, am I looking for sidelight? Am I looking for straight into the sun down, right down the barrel, yeah. you know? And, and, and for for long exposure shooters, which way is the, which way is the cloud traveling? You know, yep. what, what's that going to create in the images? Does that line up with the foreground or the yeah. subject? Do I have leading lines or not? You know, all those, all yeah. those things come into, you know, and the, the composition alone, I mean, I, I, I know myself, I can spend oh, probably a good 20, 30 minutes before I actually line up the first comp, you know, and that's just looking around the place. What, what's, what's the foreground element it's usually the first bit that i start at you know and then yeah. Then, yeah. then what am i lining that up with to to, yeah. to get me the shot you know oh look most most definitely and and i'm i've been known to i'm a bit of a wanderer when i get to locations and so uh, for instance um take a spot like bombay so yep. there's kind of one or two very classic compositions in that spot that pretty yeah. much everybody shoots yeah um so i find i remember the first time i went to, to bombay um and unsurprisingly got very wet um but you know <laughs> everybody get, gets get wet the, bombay. <laughs> yeah well you know if you're not getting wet you're not doing it properly at bombay That's right. um but um, in general <laughs> yeah well exactly um but i remember getting you know the climbing up onto the ledge there and and shooting north along that those towers there and, and getting those impact shots and stuff like that but you know after about 15 minutes i was thinking well what else is there what else is around here yeah. um and i just w went for a wonder and obviously no one had told me about the north channel so uh, you know i went walking around the corner and went up to the other end of that of those basalt rock walls and found that northern channel and i spent the rest of the morning there because yeah. i actually yeah. think that's a better composition than than the other one um yeah. so yeah I'm, I'm a bit of a wonderer like i i'm the same i tend to sort of scope if it's if i've never been somewhere before i tend to scope it out for a good 15 20 minutes and um yeah. see what catches my eye and then then i'll start chasing it and i i think uh particularly with sunrise shooting you know you get there in the dark so you've got limited vision as to what you can actually see and then it's that sort of race against the light you know before the yeah, light yeah. goes so it's trying to find that comp and, and look, you know, I've had those mornings where you just can't find something that really jumps out at you and you try to you end up sort of just capturing sort of semi-mediocre, you know, compositions that it's, you know, it's all about either just getting a, a snapshot of the light or what the conditions were. And I, this is why I'm a repeat offender. Just, just about every location I've been to, like I will yeah. go back there multiple times for that reason. I, I'm not, not sure if you've encountered photographers who have this mindset but i have certainly had discussions with people who say well i don't go back there because i've shot it and I'd yeah no I, I i have encountered it but i i'm definitely not a believer in it i've there's a few places where i've been and i've been really lucky and the skies of but uh, there was a a shot i did um uh a shoot up at newport and that it was just absolutely there was red from horizon to above my head and yeah as far as the eye could see and the reflections on the water were just absolutely fantastic Stunning. the tide conditions were ideal i probably won't shoot that for a while because yeah yeah absolutely yeah and it was literally the first time i'd uh, luckily the first time i'd ever shot down at newport down at the rock pool down there 
Oh, wow. um, and occasionally, yeah, you luck out like that and you kind of go, well, I doubt I'll see better than that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, yeah, okay, I could, I, could, I could probably work on the comps a little or I could, you know, yeah. I, I could get a better flow it. maybe, but that sky is, you know, and, yeah. I'm, you know, yeah, so I've played around with sky replacement, but it's not something I do a lot of and, you know, yeah. it's no. certainly not something that I'd do with that, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah there, there's a few there, there are a few places though that i just keep going back to because the the one place that keeps eluding me at the moment is ss airfield there in homebush bay uh yeah which for for, for the uh the listeners that don't um frequent sydney uh it's a oh, probably about a 80 to 90 year old shipwreck which has been beached in a little bay um, with a mangrove tree growing out of the, the, yeah. the top of it. And it's pretty unique. Yeah, fairly unique. But every time I go there, either there's a little tiny bit of pink way up in the north and nowhere near me, or I've, I've got some nice streaky clouds because it was a, you know, um, a windy, cloudy day one, one time that I went, but... I, I just yeah. uh, every other time it's either been absolute clear skies or just you know just a nothing sunrise that didn't burn you know and it's, it's or sunset yeah. that didn't burn and it's kind of like yeah I, I think I think every I'm landscape keep going back though <laughs> I, I think every landscape photographer has one location like that yeah. I, I think that's so true I just think there's there's always one spot that no matter how many times you go to, it's just never good. It's you, yeah. crystal clear. <laughs> My mine is uh, is uh, Bangali Heads up in the northern oh, yeah. ranges. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I I've uh, have you shot there before? No, I haven't. I haven't done that one yet. That's it's yeah, another it's, on my list. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a bit of a it's not for the faint of heart. It's a bit of a goat track to to get down onto the shelf there. It's there's a fisherman's track which sort of meanders down the side of this cliff face um it's not it's i wouldn't call it dangerous but it's you know you got to be sure-footed and and, you know be aware of where to go every every single time i have been there it's been the wrong swell there's been no cloud or it's been a total gray out or it's been pouring with rain it's just i have never been happy with any image i've created there (laughs) and there's there's a whole bunch like it's a fantastic shelf um you know it's got some great sort of runoff there's a flat part where the swell comes in and stuff like that so it's got so much potential i can see some great comps there but i've never nailed anything there i've been there probably half a dozen times so it's um and and look they're the places you just have to keep going back to you know absolutely it's, it's exactly right. It's just you know, it's on my list. It hasn't been crossed off my list yet. So yeah, you know, no, I mean, that, it's it's it is one of the nice things about living where we do is that you know, there's you you are spot for choice. There's got to be oh. I don't know how many beaches are there. There's there are. I, I can I can tell you because I I've actually a while ago I created two maps which is basically. These these are just the pools in Sydney. Yeah, the rock pools. I think there's about so, the, so on the seventy of them. On, on on the northern beaches, just on the northern beaches, there are fourteen rock yeah. pools on the northern beaches, and on the on the south side there are fifth there are fifteen. 
Yeah, okay. So you've got just rock pools. I'm, I'm not even talking about rock shells or anything like that. That's just rock pools that we're talking about. So, yeah. and Sydney's unique in Australia for that. Yeah. You know, it's, no, let's see. so we're so spoiled for ease of access, locations. Um, so I, I, I tend to get a little bit shirty at people in Sydney that complain about, you know, oh, there's nowhere well, left to shoot. Nowhere so left to shoot. Yeah, there's plenty of, yeah. <laughs> What are you then, talking and about? And then you can go a little, and not that far further afield. You know, you get down to Kernel, you can go down to Gary, down, you know. Absolutely. Even even Bundina, there, there's some really yep. nice stuff I've seen around, uh, around, around in uh, Bundina as well. You know, yeah, Shelley Beach at Bundina is a beautiful little spot. Absolutely. You know? yeah. yeah, so, uh, yeah, it does my, like, there's an entire Royal National Park to explore, you know, all the coastline. Well, there's there waterfalls and, in there. There's, I mean, there's waterfall. There's waterfalls yeah. in um, uh, what's his name uh, Terry Hills, you know, for yep. God's sake, you know. Yeah, yeah. You just, I, I have no patience for any Sydney-based photographer <laughs> who complains about not knowing where to go or just thinks everything's been shot. Like seriously, yeah. that does my head in that attitude. It's just like, you've got to be kidding me. Because if you go, you know, if you go to Melbourne, if you go to Brisbane, if you go to Perth. Even Adelaide, and like Adelaide's like the city of jetties. Like there's just some yeah, fantastic yeah. ocean jetties in Adelaide. Yeah. But you got to drive, you know, to, to get out to some of the spots there. So yeah. um, it, there's just nowhere like Sydney. We're just so unbelievably spoilt here for, for choice. So, um, yeah, I just, I adore it. I'm, I've shot every pool in Sydney and I will keep shooting them because, you know, um, this is. I had this discussion a while ago with a one of these infamous photographers who said, "You know, I don't go back there because I've shot it." <laughs> and I said, "Well, every single day is different. Every single weather condition is different. Like Most every wave is different." Yeah, on. absolutely. So I just, yeah, I can't fathom that attitude. It's, I mean, it's I, I, I remember one one particular morning um, I was at Taramata, and I think. Without moving my tripod more than probably 10 metres, I got about 15 different comps. Yep. And, yep. you know, different, different waves, different, you know, different, different lighting as the lighting changed and everything. And yep. that, that was all in a 10-metre sort of area. <laughs> yeah, exactly and, right. And, you know, and, if, and if you think about it and you look at what you're doing and you, you understand it, you know, understand what the light's doing and... Understand what you know if if you're shooting flow or something like that. Understand what the the waves are up to, you know where, what is the tide going out, coming in, all that sort of thing. You you can yep. just you can just get endless entertainment out of it because uh, yeah, you know, it exactly. is entertainment for me. You know totally. And and Tarimet is a great example because it's kind of you know it's one of the seascape meccas of Sydney. Yeah. Um. It's 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 an absolute classic location and. You know, over the years, when I first started, it was one of the very first locations I ever shot Sunrise at. Um, yeah. So it holds a special place in my heart. But, you know, over the years, I've heard people sort of say, roll their eyes and go, well, I'm not going to Tarry on a Saturday morning because there'll be 25 other photographers there. And that may well be true. Yeah. But if you can't find a comp at Tarry, even with that many photographers you're there, you're not your trying hard enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I've, I've been there on a Saturday morning and there, I counted 26 photographers just on the southern end. Yeah. And all I did was I packed up my tripod yeah, and I walked up to the northern end That's right. of, of the beach there 
and shot the shelf there and I was by myself. So, I mean, it's... That's, that's exactly yeah. it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I just, yeah, it's just... Uh, we're just so unbelievably privileged to to have access to locations like this. Like, you know, if you, you look at... Um, you chat to people that live in Melbourne, um, especially in the, in the sort of inner city area, yeah. it's a fair hike for them to, to get to locations. There's there's a yeah. few places there, but uh, yeah, yeah. Other than you know, you say it, it, it is the mecca for cityscapes and for street oh, well, photographers. Yeah, you know, the, yeah. The, some some of the street graffiti and all that sort of thing. The lane, yeah, Hosea Lane and things like yeah, that are amazing. That, that it, it is brilliant for those sorts of things. But yeah, I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna get flow in <laughs> Port Phillip Bay <laughs> very much. You you might have no. a really stormy day. Yeah, no, it's not. Uh, it's not known for its seascapes. So um, you know, <laughs> you get yeah, down it's... to Mornington or uh, around to the that's Great exactly Ocean right. Road, I think otherwise, but uh... yeah, to Cape Shank or something like that. So yeah, yeah it's um, yeah. yeah. So we're very sport. We're very very lucky, well yeah. and truly. So we all have our inspirational and aspirational photographers. Who's your go-to when you are seeking to extend yourself or ask for advice? Um. I don't tend to, I don't really have any sort of singular names that pop to mind. I mean, I obviously follow a lot of the the, the bigger names um, on Instagram and stuff like that. Um, but I tend to, I don't know, um, I tend to view other people's work now, not so much with a critical eye anymore. I, I, I certainly used to. Um, but these days it's, to me, and I, and I think this is a symptom of, of social media and, 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 you know, endlessly scrolling. It's kind of about what just jumps out at you and catches your eye these days because we consume so much imagery now. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's quite just mind-boggling. So, um, you know, I, I tend to do a lot of scrolling, you know, in the morning, in the evening, and, and sort of I'll, I'll stop at something that really jumps out at me. And I have to say I, I tend to find that a bit of a negative thing. I, I think, um, you know, we've become so sort of, desensitized to really good imagery really good landscape photography because there's, just there's, so there's much a lot of it, it about yeah. yeah yeah so and i think um and we tend to forget quite often within our world within the landscape photography world we do see so much of it that i think this is one of the wonderful things about sort of showing your work um you know in hard copy form yeah. to what i call the unsuspecting public you know people that don't look at it every day yeah, and they're, they come they're, not, they're not doom scrolling like uh, you and I might. That's exactly I mean, I, right. Most of my scrolling these days is looking for looking for people to tap on the shoulder and ask to be a guest. <laughs> <laughs> Do stuff like most definitely. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think um, it's a good reminder that you know we've sort of become a bit blasé about you know stunning skies and and, and flow and, and landscapes, and I think. It's good to be reminded every now and then that not everybody looks at it through our eyes. Um, so for the average punter, you know, we do create quite amazing imagery that um, yeah. most people just don't see. So, um, well, I, I, And I think both in the shooting and the processing, a lot of what goes into it is invisible to somebody who, I mean, you, you might look at an image and go, oh, yeah, they've probably used a, you know, a radial gradient or something there to, you know, Get, get the light in that spot highlighted. Yep. You know, maybe they have or they haven't, you know, who, who yep. knows, you know. Yep. But the, the trick is doing it in such a way that nobody knows what you've done unless Absolutely. you've actually got 
years of experience of looking at it, you know, and yeah, I think there's there's a lot of uh, joy. I mean, I, I I know just in sort of sharing some of my work with uh, you know both the family, but also other people. You know, um, yeah, they 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 do get. I, I get blown away. Sorry uh, about the, their reactions to. Oh wow, how did you do that? You know. And that, that's Absolutely. when you've got to go, okay, well, <laughs> I just yeah. turned up and pressed the button. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's so true, though. It's, it, it is so true. And, you know, again, some of the conversations I've had with, um, with, with the public who, and I think one of the most painful experiences we have as landscape photographers is having the inevitable Photoshop question, you know. Um, did you edit that at, image? Yes, of course did I you, did. Did you Photoshop this? Yeah. And it's like it's such a loaded question, and you know, there's so many insinuations behind it. And yeah. so I've started um, during the arts trial, in particular, I have a little sort of artist statement, you know, at the, at the front of my driveway, which is just a little blurb about me. But I've now made a point of putting into it that I say, yes, the images you're looking at have been processed in Photoshop, which is merely the digital equivalent of the darkroom dark in the film yeah. days. Um, and that seems to satisfy people. Yeah, I, I once, think once you once you explain it in those sorts of terms, uh, it usually clicks. Oh, okay, it's not, you know, it, it's not been it, it's not been a sky replacement, or I've added some birds or some clouds, or you know, the, the various brushes and that it, you can you, you can buy now that do yeah, all of those and I, I think. Absolutely. And I think the problem is, is that Photoshop's kind of entered the lexicon as sort of a word for trickery. Yeah. So people yeah. F- have that in- feeling that maybe they're being deceived you, by what they're looking at. You, and, you, you you know, somehow, you're somehow trying to trick my eye into thinking you, you're you a better photographer than you really are, you know. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I, I dare say there are people out there that do do that. I, I prefer, and I was I was talking to somebody the other day about this. You know, I prefer those that are upfront and honest. And if I've, yep. you know, if I've messed around with an image, and you know, even if it might not be obvious to the layperson, I'm I'm going to say it's a composite, or this is, you know, th- this is multiple different exposures composed together to give you this result. Or I've Absolutely. added that. I've added that set of birds which i've never done <laughs> you know i've added that set of birds in the corner you know to to, to, to make it look better yeah yeah and and this is kind of this is where i land on the whole debate about um you know sky replacements and composites and things like that i i think i you know look i think as long as you're upfront about it you know um consider your audience you know who you're showing it to um, but I think even amongst photographers, I think I think there's a bit of integrity involved with, you know, if you've swapped out the sky or, you know, it's even when it's obvious, you know, like if it's clearly, you know, it's a short shutter speed for the flow, but it's a long exposure for the sky or something like that. I think it just shows a bit of integrity if you actually just put a comment, you know, in the post or whatever to yes. say, yep, this is a composite that I created or, you know, this was the the foreground's mine, but the sky above it is, you know, somebody else's or whatever. Um, I think at the end of the day, if you're honest about it, if you're upfront about it, I really don't care what people do. No, I think, do I, you know. Yeah, and I think most people only get their back up when they feel like they've been deceived, where they find 
find out after the fact yeah. that and it's if, if someone's know. trying to pass it off as journalism that's that's where the i i think the line you if it's art it's art and yeah in art literally you can do what you like there are no rules in art but yeah as soon as you as soon as you say okay well this is journalism now um and i'm i'm you know putting this out there as a realistic explanation or story of what happened yeah. and you know you've played with it then that's where things i think crossed the line you know yeah but i mean they, yeah. these these arguments have been going on for well since almost the dawn of photography you know, oh. talking to colby brown uh, you know on, on another episode about uh, frank hurley and the controversy about his uh yep. world war one images where he was doing composites you know yeah well um, and truly you know and uh, with he was with doing it with glass plates and uh you know, yeah, absolutely. Nitrate, yeah. <laughs> and, and look within the landscape space i always revert back to ansel adams like you know you yeah. look at his work but then you looked at the post-processing that was done in the darkroom for his images they're not they weren't straight out of camera no so no. That ship has well and truly sailed as far as I'm concerned. No, totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well and truly. Well it's, and fun, truly. it's funny, though. I mean, it, it keeps coming up as a, a topic, I think, in lots of photography forums. You know, you you you, you see these conversations, you know, and, and it, it, it sometimes stems from that, uh, you know, somewhat not so in, innocent question of, you know, <laughs> Have you used Photoshop? Well, yes, <laughs> I, I use Photoshop on all my images simply because yeah. to, to get from raw to the finished image, I I could use GIMP, I could use other processing tools, but I'd still be using a processing tool to get me there. You know? Most definitely, most definitely. And and look, I've I've had conversations over the years with people who you know there there are the um, I guess what you would call purists that talk about, you know, all well, I only I only shoot straight out of camera, and and I always say to people, well, that may be true, but you realise that the camera is already editing the image, yeah. so you know, I know what you think. You just could press the button and that was it, but in the seconds that that image was created, you know, it's adjusted contrast and colour, and exactly. so it's yeah. it's not like a raw file which is completely flat and blank. It's a blank well, canvas. It's not, not like, like a film negative, you know, where absolutely. okay, yeah. there's very very little that the camera's going to do to it to, to to change it other than let the light in, you know. Yeah. But even then, yeah, you know, I, you I can, just think you can this, add a filter. You can yeah. You know, Put, put your hand out, you know, on a long exposure, you can put your hand over the top half of the, the lens for, you know, a few seconds and then move it. And you know, there's all Definitely. sorts of other and, and I think, do. I think this debate's kind of, you know, and, and particularly in this day and age, you know, the second that Instagram was created and Instagram decided to put its own filters, you know, as part of the app, I mean, as I said, that ship has sailed. So I, I find it hilarious that you see people like Instagrammers complaining about over-processed images and it's like what do you think you're doing on the app you know That's you're it, taking yeah. a photo with your phone and then pressing a couple of buttons to apply a filter what do you think that is um so yeah i think these days technology's just progressed so far this is all mute um this is all just a mute point really and i, I think a lot of the time these photography forums it's kind of like the the tabloid media it's just a great driver of clicks and outrage on onto their comment sections these days you know i just I don't even read them anymore. It's just pointless. Yeah, no, no. So, 
Yeah, no, it's yeah. A, it, it, it's it's an interesting uh, debate sometimes, but yeah, sometimes you just kind of get over it. So oh, almost almost as bad as the question, uh, you know, what camera did you use? <laughs> Well, I, I, that's right up there with, uh, personally speaking, I, I, I rate that right up there with um, the, you know, what uh, what were the what were the camera settings for this particular image? Yeah. yeah. I, like, I, even when I was learning with my first SLR, it was a question I never asked because I understood very early on that it's a moment in time and settings are irrelevant because what are you trying to do? Are you trying to yeah. replicate exactly what they just captured? Um, that's exactly it. I mean, Astro, yes, there's some formulas that you can work out with, oh, your, well, with, with your triangle yeah. where the settings matter. Yeah. But yeah. Other than that, you know, for, for shooting flow, okay, well, what, what gets you a quarter of a second exposure time? Yeah. You know? Yeah, that, exactly. That could be yeah, so. twiddling other other dials to make that happen, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, look, I'm sure you've you've been asked the question over the years. Oh, yeah, I've started know, people... saying I, I used a Nokia, a Nokia uh, 3310. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it but it goes to the to the to the camera question, you know, like uh, people looking at your work and, and people that might be interested in getting into photography. And the first question I ask you is, what do you shoot with? You know, what, what brand do you use? And I look, I'm a Nikon shooter personally, but the only reason I'm a Nikon shooter is because I walked into a camera store, I picked up a Canon and I picked up a Nikon and yep. the Nikon felt better in my hand. That yeah. was my decision-making process. I, I, um, I, I was similar. I was in duty free uh, in an airport, and they only had Canon and Nikon DSLRs. I don't, or they might might have had an Olympus one, I think, but they only had yep. one. And it was okay. Price? What does this do? What does that do? Video? Yada yada. You know, just went through sort of a list of requirements and ended up with a Canon because yeah. price yep. and everything else weighed up that yeah okay it's like slightly better for me right now to buy that cannon absolutely <laughs> and then you buy absolutely. lenses for it and that means you then have a, a bit of a lock-in with the yeah now, now you're locked into you, the system yeah yeah, yeah and yeah, unless you're gonna sell it all and you know on, yeah. on the second hand market you know where i know i've bought a few lenses on the second hand market you know oh, so have I. yeah not a bad way of getting a cheap lens but um yeah I don't yeah, know that I'll buy a body that way, but uh. yeah, look, I I think it's again, um, I think camera technology is at a point now where the whatever brand is on the outside of your camera is completely irrelevant. You know, it's just what you're don't, comfortable don't Sony with. Don't Sony make all with. of the uh, the sensors anyway? Now, <laughs> well, pretty much, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's just it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, it's it's who it's it's the person standing behind the viewfinder that's the most important component of Absolutely, the process yeah. these days. Yeah, so the, the 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 gear, the settings, etc., absolutely no replacement for creativity. Absolutely, and, you know, it's it, it's got to be what what you're seeing, what you're feeling, what you want to make out of it. You know, and I'm you, you see incredible images, you know, both inside uh, landscape as well as outside, which. You know, by my mind, when you look at them, because you go, yeah, I would never have thought to do that, you know. Yeah. Oh, well and surely. Yeah, well I, would, and surely. I, I look at that and I go, I really admire somebody seeing that shot because I would have walked straight past it and 
and yeah. it and not seen yeah. it simply because yeah. my creative thinking doesn't lend me towards looking for those sorts of sorts of things. But that yeah. other person has has done that. And that, yeah, that absolutely, to me is absolutely. is where the difference really gets made. Yeah, most definitely. I'm I'm a big fan of um of street photographers. Um, it's yep. it's not a genre I've I've explored terribly well. Um, but I I'm in awe of these guys that get out there amongst people and manage to capture, you know, scenes that are have unbelievable lighting and they've just managed to snap somebody in a, you know, second of time, yeah. in a particular pose or it's the way the shadow falls across them or something. Yeah. It blows my mind that people just in a second, in an instant can just see that and capture it. Yep. Um, you know, the landscape photography is quite slow photography, you know, kind of you build that sort of time frame where you're able to generate something in your head and create something. Whereas, you know, street photographers have really got to, literally think on their feet and, and, and you know, yeah. generate something. So yeah, it blows me away. Good street photography is just I'm in awe of, you know. Definitely, definitely. So what's the what's the most notable experience you've had taking a shot? Or uh, a that's a very easy question to answer. 2019 on Diamond Beach in Iceland. Nice. Yeah. Um, so 2019 was, uh, was the year of my 50th birthday and I managed to um, slowly convince my better half uh, and, and Minister of Finance to uh, allow me to, to do a photography tour to Iceland and Norway. Um, and I had been obsessed with Diamond Beach for the very first time I saw an image of it. I, you know... Yeah. Here in Australia, you know, we're so used to just blue seas, you know, yellow sand, blue skies. Yeah. So to try and wrap my head around glacial ice sitting on black sand with a, with a grey or white sea, depending on. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so in 2019, I um, I uh, did a, a tour to to Iceland uh, with um, Jared Kostain, who's a Sydney yep. photographer, and he runs. Uh, tours there and um yeah just getting out of the van in the car park and looking down onto that beach and uh getting down there you know in like six layers of clothing and you know gum boots um and it's managing to capture some pleasing images and capturing the color in that ice just will stay with me forever um and it wasn't completely uneventful. I did manage to cop a face full of um, of seawater and, and and black sand um, because it's it's a pretty dicey spot. It's it's a sheer uh, slope. When the when the waves roll into that beach, it's at quite an acute angle. So yeah, right. it's one of those it's one of those beaches where the swell is quite deceiving. It it doesn't look that big, but then you realise that because it's such a slope, it generates so much energy as it impacts. So yep. the speed of the water coming up, and I got caught where I was so I target fixation. I was so fixated on this particular chunk of ice in front of me, yep. and I realised at the last second that this wave was going to come over the top of that ice. So I had just enough time to throw the tripod behind me to protect the camera, but I was still looking forward. So boom, straight into the face. Oh, nice. So I was well and truly awake at that point in time because it was Icelandic seawater. Um, <laughs> but look, 
I've never been happier on a seascape shoot. It was it was just breathtaking. There was just chunks of ice absolutely everywhere. You know, it's it's moving, it's melting. The biggest stuff sort of landed off the top of the beach, but all the small stuff's rolling in the ocean. So it's not a you had to sh- you shoot quite short shutter speeds because yeah, if you left yeah. left it too long, it was blurred. So um, you know, you really had to think on your feet. You had to adjust your settings to the conditions, all that sort of stuff, and then keep one eye on the on the swell, obviously, that as it was impacting, and uh, and just look for those beautiful chunks of ice. So yeah, that's well and truly a highlight. Yeah, fantastic. What about horror stories? <laughs> oh, we've all, we've all got them. Um, that's why I worst, asked the question. I like to hear them. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the the worst shoot I've been on. I was actually by myself. Um, probably the diciest situation I've been in. So one of the very first times I went down to Cape Banks, um, down near La Perouse. So yep. um, down I there, I know it well. I've shot down there a few times. I, I, yeah, I love it. But yeah, you've got to be careful, particularly when you're scrabbling around the rocks in the dark. Yeah. Yeah, which is exactly what I was doing, and I was down on the uh, I was down on the lower shelf. So you know the um, there's a tiny little outcropping there where the, yeah. it's got a fisherman's pole jammed on the very edge of it. Yep. But that's what I was chasing. Um, so high tide, reasonably sized swell, and it was still dark. It's pre-dawn, and I was down there. So I'm down there by myself. Um, I've got rock boots on. You know, I'm all all kitted out, and I've climbed down, and I'm sort of the I'm on the, there's a tiny little ledge that's just slightly above that landing there where there's a yeah, couple, yeah. couple of big rocks. So I hadn't set up. I suppose backpack still on my um, my back. I've got the tripod in my hand and I'm looking around thinking, right, eh, let's just scope this out. And it's just as well I was standing where I was because it was that row wave that started rolling in. Yeah. And you know it's big when you can hear it before you can see it. Yeah, it sounds, sounds like a train coming. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so I knew I had nowhere to go. So I literally just stood there. I backed up against the edge of the, the rock wall there and I just braced for impact. I got absolutely drenched. It basically went up to my neck. There was so much oh, water rolling over that point. But obviously, because I had rock boots on, I didn't slip. I had grip. So I just basically waited for it to roll back. And then I did the walk of shame back to the car where I was just literally dripping, <laughs> you know, and it was winter, so it was absolutely freezing oh, nice. cold. Even better. So, um, but I had to do the walk of shame back up that track and I was walking past these fishos that were walking down with their fishing rods and I'm just, there's still water dripping yeah, off. They, they had a bloody good laugh, I'll bet. Absolutely. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was one of those life lessons, like, you know, next time how about just uh, taking a bit more time and not rushing down and, so, um, but that very same spot, I've um, I've also been down there, and I've pulled someone um, off that rock shelf um, who was at very great risk of being washed into the into the swell there. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. I was down there with uh, with a mate of mine and um, shooting away, and this fisho came down carrying all his gear, and uh, I knew he was in trouble because I looked at his feet because it's what I always do when I see people on rock shelves, and he was wearing Crocs. So nice. um, that's that's stylish, but <laughs> Japanese safety boots, as I call them. <laughs> but uh, he was uh, literally not, walking out to not that. Very safe. Was, uh, nah, and he he was walking out to that point, and he was as he was doing it was just when the set came in, uh, and he got absolutely knocked on his rear rear end, 
And um, so we had to scramble down and basically grab hold of him because we were worried he was going to get sucked in. So, um, yeah. I've, you know, I've got to I, say, the funny, funniest footwear I've seen on a rock fisherman is a pair of rubber thongs or flip-flops <laughs> for the international uh, listeners with beer bottles tacked to the bottom. I don't know exactly how he'd done it, but he'd obviously pierced through the rubber sole of the thing and he had like half a dozen beer bottles on each foot. Oh, uh, my beer God. bottle tops, you know, the, the little crown crown seals. And wow. it was like, you've <laughs> got to be kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, he that's, he that's, thought that was safe because he yeah, had... Yeah, the grip. quintessential example of it, it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> But, I think he must have made those after drinking the beers, but uh, yeah, yeah, didn't want to. You didn't want to throw the bottles out, so no, that's oh, right. I don't know what I did. Far out. Yeah. It, it, it never ceases to amaze me what you see. You know, shooting seascapes, and and obviously we share these coastlines with a lot of fishermen, and um, yeah. I'm continuously blown away. You know, you see the entire gamut of people with all the gear on fully kitted out and all the rest yep. of it right down to examples like that of just blokes turning up in thongs and you think well there's little wonder that so many of you people die every year yes yeah, absolutely just, yeah. just incredible so yeah i just I, I consistently say to people i'm a bit evangelical about it really but if if you're going to get out there like you're carrying you know several thousand dollars worth of camera gear on your back and well, you even don't if, want to spend, if you've got a couple of hundred bucks worth of fishing gear, you know? Yeah, like, but you don't want to spend 60 bucks on a pair of rock boots. Like, That's right. Just, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't get that thinking at all, but no, you know, it's to their own. Yeah. And I mean, so. even if even if you don't go that far and get uh, the, the, the rock boots themselves, you can buy a set of cleats for, you know, rock rock fishing cleats for, what, 30 bucks, 40 bucks? 30 at, bucks, know, yeah, 25, yeah. 30 bucks. Yeah, next to nothing. Like it just, it, uh, what, and what they'll save your life. You yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's yeah, it just it blows me away. But the, the things you see, it's uh, absolutely can be interesting. Yeah. You talked a bit uh, about printing your work and, and displaying your work. Um, what, what, why do you do that? What do you get out of that? And uh, you know, what tips would you have for somebody to you know prep an image for printing and and get set up for printing? Yeah, um, just do it would be my advice. Um, I again, it's, this is a this is a topic I'm I'm quite passionate about because I I just think um, sooner or later if if you get into this hobby and and you know you start investing in camera systems and things like that, I, I think you've got to reach a point where you've got to start asking yourself why. Yeah, what are you doing with these images? Um, because I I don't. Um, I don't shoot for social media. I don't shoot for digital media. I shoot for printing. Um, so ultimately, whatever I share online is something that I've looked at and thought, geez, would mind printing that? Yep. Um, so um, I, I'm a bit old school and analog in that I think nothing beats the printed image. Nothing beats something you can tangibly hold in your hand, whether it's a book or you know, yeah, an A4 yeah. size print or whether it's something a metre wide that you can put up on a wall and, you know, stand back and and, and take in. Um, I think it's the ultimate form of backup, really. Um, yeah. So I just, I've, <laughs> I've always loved that that printed image that's, you know, shows a moment in time, something you created personally. 
Um, so I've, um, I, something I got into very early on, you know, with my first SLR, I had a little, just a little inkjet printer and I used to buy some photographic paper and, you know, print it out and the colours would be wrong and it'd be too dark or it'd be too light and all that sort of stuff. Yep. And look, Well, you run out I'm of not, ink halfway through the print. Or you run out of ink halfway, <laughs> yeah, been there, done that. I've done, yeah, um, done that a few times. <laughs> it is, yeah, it is. But and look, it, it is a bit of a black art when you when you start investigating printing and, and cr- preparing images for print and stuff like that. Um, but having said that, I I don't think printing's ever been easier. Um, you know, if you if you want to get some now, prints, absolutely, yeah, yeah. If you want to get some prints done, you know, there's a thousand websites out there that you can upload your images and, to, and, and comparably cheap. Absolutely. And you know that a lot of printers, you know, there's a there's a few, there's quite a few printing companies all over Australia. Um, I personally use a mob in Melbourne called New Lab. Yep. Um, they've been around for a very very long time, um, but they have the option to you know color correct your images, so yep. you can upload them, and they will do it for you. And yep. you know, you get your image back, and it's professionally printed. It's done very very cheaply. Um, and I've done everything from that, you know, sort of A3 size prints through those guys. And I've done canvas prints. I've done simple canvas prints th- through people like Ted's cameras, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of hundred dollars for something that's almost a metre wide on canvas and it's beautiful print quality. Yeah. Um, oh, you, can, so you can even do it through Big W, you know. Yeah, most so, definitely. Somebody you don't really associate with photography brands, you know. No, but I... I I think a lot of these companies over the years have realised that people want a decent, you know, quality product and they've upped their game and, you know, yep. invested a bit in their printing technology and paper and, and stock and stuff like that. So, you know, I think it runs the full gamut these days of, you know, people that want to print some small, you know, four by sixes for some family snaps all the way up to fine art photographers who want to, you know, put something serious on the wall. So um, I'm a big believer in, printing your own work and hanging your own work. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything terribly narcissistic about it. I think, you know. No, I've, um, I've, I've got plenty of plenty of stuff on my walls. and you know. I've run out of wall space. In fact, I've, I've got to the point where I rotate images now because, you know, I sort of put something up on the wall for six months and then I take it down and put something else up. <laughs> yeah, um, I've, I've actually got a couple of frames uh, sitting over there. They're, they're, they're actually one of, one of the first uh, couple of panos that I um shot shot and printed and then got framed so they, these are sort of like meter meter long uh print space inside yep. the inside the frame with probably better i don't know better 30 mil board around them you know and yep. Yep. yeah just um I, they're, they're just sort of sitting there waiting for me to get off my backside and uh roll out a, a, another print that you know, yeah, I can stick in them, but uh, yeah, absolutely. Actually, yeah. This, this room is the only one that I don't have have one of my prints in. <laughs> <laughs> well, you better get on that. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. But I, I just think, yeah, I mean, it, you know, I, I, I don't know how much money I've now spent on camera gear, but it's a significant amount, and I just think. You know, once you get to that point where you're investing in a bit of serious glass and you've gone to a full frame body or, you know, a pro body or something like that, yeah. then 
what are you doing with all this imagery? Because, you know, digital photography, you can create tens of thousands of images every single year. And if yeah. all it's doing is sitting on a hard drive, you know, and sitting on Instagram, well, super, yeah. what, why, you know? Yeah, no, <laughs> I, know I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, exactly so I, mean. I've, I now, and the other thing I don't, and, and I'm a little bit lazy, so... I realized years ago that the other thing I can do with my work is um, give it away to family and friends. So every single year for Christmas, I'm sort of for gifts. I do calendars. I do, you know, um, standalone prints for people who I think might like, you know, something that relates to their local area and stuff like that. So yeah. it's the easiest thing in the world to do. And it's something very personal that, you know, people connect with. So, absolutely, um, yeah. you know, I do... I do calendars every year for my entire family, which uh, they now hassle me about. And sort of around November, I start getting reminders about, you yep. know, oh, have you done the calendar for Christmas? And you know, <laughs> what are you putting in the calendar this year? You know, they're all they're all art critics now. They, you know, they I get a critique. You should, you should send Christmas. them a, a bunch of QR codes this year. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Not quite the same. So, um, yeah, and as as I said, I um I do I do an annual photo book every year um and i go through my photo books several times a year it's a great way to review and you know remind yourself where you've been and what you've shot and, and, yeah, and stuff yeah. like that and then uh, you know i create for holidays and things like that i create photo books for those as well so um i just adore it i, I love the printed image i just think um you know it's it's just something i think everybody should embrace and and really get into and this is what led me on to um, participating in exhibitions. Um, so, I, you know, I do the yearly arts trial. So every every year I go out and throughout the year I start curating, thinking about what might, yep. might, what might work. And so I've shot a lot of my local area down on the harbour and things like that. And that obviously I sell those every single year. There's always someone that, you know, obviously connects with it because they yeah. live in the area as well. Um, and I've been involved with uh, the IGAP crew uh the independent gallery for australian photographers um yep. tom and 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 ibby and and those guys i've done a few exhibitions with them now um you know and that's a fantastic way of um dipping your toe into that pond if, if you're so inclined if yeah you know, i really encourage it's, people a, it's to, got a really good community feel to it too well and truly well yeah. and truly they're fantastic quality prints um you know and i just think if you've never done it before uh, until you you know, you walk into that room and you look up and you see your work hanging on a wall with yep. your name underneath it. I just nothing beats that. I don't think yeah. it's just such a buzz. So. Well, with 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 other really good photographers as well. You know, their their work as well. Well and truly. You know? And I mean, it, it, the nice. I mean, yeah, they give prizes and that sort of thing. But the nice thing is, it's not about necessarily comparing who's who's is best and whatever. Yeah. It's it, it's actually. You know, as I say, got that community feel about you know. All right, we're all here sharing and and showing our work, and everyone's, you know, usually quite supportive of one another. I think absolutely, absolutely, and it's fantastic having that. You have those discussions with other photographers about their work, and they ask yeah. you about yours and and all that sort of yeah. stuff. And I think at the end of the day, that's what it's really all about. You know, it's it's one of those quandaries about photography. I find that. You know, at the end of the day, it's completely individual pursuit, but there's some fantastic communities that are formed around it. Um, so I, I think it's um, it's a great way of meeting people and exchanging ideas and just having those spinning the war stories about your best and your worst shoot and things like that. 
Um, so yeah, it's it's quite a, quite interesting because at the end of the day, you know, when you created that image, you were standing there by yourself. That's you it. Know, just, yeah. You know, just sitting thinking behind thinking your own camera. thoughts and yeah, yeah, concentrating on what you were doing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then the end state is you're standing in a crowded room, looking at it on the wall having discussions with other people so yeah you know it's all part of the journey i agree i don't don't think there's anything better than that that's uh it's fantastic yeah well and truly speaking about walls have you ever hit a creative wall and how Um, did you handle that not really i i'm gonna i'm gonna make people roll their eyes at this but i've (laughs) i've been extraordinarily lucky in that i've i don't think i've ever been in a rut or really hit any sort of major wall i've put it this way i've never reached the point where i've woken up on a saturday morning and thought i just can't be bothered i've i've never really had that thought i've always thought it's it's been no issue whatsoever even on really cracking mornings you know like i've done i've done shoots down on the south coast where it's literally bucketed rain the entire drive down there you know, I stood under an umbrella for like an hour, you know, waiting for a break in the rain just to get yep. a couple of frames and stuff like that. But I still think it's worth it. I still I still love getting out and just standing yeah. there and, you know, waiting to see what's going to happen. So, um, yeah, and I, I still have the same passion for, for landscape photography I've always had. It's it's just something I've – it's part of my DNA these days. It's just something I love doing. So I've, I've, I've been but- well and truly lucky in that regard because I know plenty of people that have – have hit the wall and you know taken a break or you know t- shifted genres and yeah. things like that and yeah. have come back later on so i think it's 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 tough um no doubt about it and it can be hard motivating yourself and especially if you've been shooting for a while and you've been to most of the locations and maybe you just want something new um well they're probably those yeah. people that uh you know reckon there's nowhere else to shoot in sydney now so <laughs> Yeah, exactly right. They're, they're the, the ones, ones that get, get a complaint. I, I mean, I, I like what uh, Chris Parry said in uh, episode two of the, the the podcast, where you know, you to be a landscape photographer, particularly seascapes, you you got to be an optimist because you got to get out there and say, yeah, I'm going to get something, even if it's even if the conditions don't look right. You know? Yeah, yeah. One one of my one of my most favourite things in the world is is you know after you do nail a particular location where you get a, you know, spectacular sky or something like that. I love the post-shoot FOMO messages you get from people who, you know, after you've posted something and they yeah. go, oh, I should have got up. Yeah, and, I should have got oh, up. Yeah, I should have well, gotten up. And, oh, <laughs> I thought it was raining, so I stayed in bed. It's like, what? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so yeah that's that's kind of I, I love that buzz it's just hilarious because you just think well you know what you didn't have to turn the alarm off that's that's exactly it that's exactly it and the thing is the 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 uh the only shoots you're uh really gonna be disappointed by are the ones you don't take i think absolutely yeah. absolutely so yeah I'm a, I'm, I'm a big proponent of just um you know, uh, I was I was I was taught a, a management principle many many years ago, and it goes under the acronym of Goya. I don't know yep. if you've ever heard that. I, I have heard that. Yeah. Yeah. G O Y A. Get off your ass. So yeah. it's it's what it boils <laughs> down to. You just got to get out of bed, get in the car, and get out there. And absolutely, you, know, you just never know the conversations you have with people that 
you know, oh, I live in Sydney. I, I woke up and it was raining and it's like, yeah, but if you'd driven an hour down the coast, it was perfectly clear and you got all this great light. So, yeah. you but know, even even if it is raining, I mean, unless it's a, you know, 100%, you know, concrete grey sky, um, you know, if there's if there's a bit of breeze about and it's passing showers, you know, some some of those conditions are the best because oh the, God, the light that you can get out of that yeah. is just absolutely fantastic. You know, yeah, I love there's, rain. there's a good love rainy skies. Yeah, for for, for that sorry. reason, because you, yeah. you know, rainy skies, you get that beautiful diffused light, especially yep. after the sun's just got a, above the horizon. It's just stunning. So, yeah. um. Or you get it peeking through and around the cracks in the cloud, and, oh, you know, just yeah. glowing up behind a, uh, you know, a rain shower, you know. Oh, it's stunning. Nothing better. Nothing no, better. No, exactly right. It's stormy skies. Sometimes it's just the best light and the best skies you'll ever get. So yeah. um, I, I think one of those common misunderstandings is, is if you don't know much about weather and, and, and climate and things like that, People tend to just see a rain forecast and think, ah, oh, well, it's going to rain tomorrow. Well, I'll just stay at home. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. well, yeah, it's not exactly how it works. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, and again, it's it, Sydney, we're so unbelievably spoiled. It's such a temperate climate here that, you know, we, we don't get a lot of rain in Sydney. So it's quite rare that you're going to get a completely socked out day where you just won't be able to leave the house. Like it's yeah. so rare. But I, I, even if it is, I mean, in, in Sydney, you know, you can go if it is raining and it is a, a concrete grey sky and you know showers and whatever. Go and find a rain, a, a waterfall. Absolutely, rain there, means waterfalls. That's right, because there, there's only a couple of hundred of them within you know a, an hour and a half drive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely, so true, so true. Yeah, yeah I. I, I I, I do get a sound of it if anyone says no, I'm, uh, I haven't got anything to shoot. There's, a, you know, it, it doesn't matter the conditions. The, the, there is something that you can shoot. Probably, Always. you know, um, yeah, midnight, pitch black, dark, and fog. You're not going to get much. Fair enough. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can't do astro. You can't do. Yeah, you know, you, but you, actually thinking about it, I've, I've seen some interesting uh, foggy night nightscape shots with you know in, interesting lights you know you find a you know a um a, an isolated uh, patch of light somewhere with darkness all around it you know you can you, you can do some fantastic things even then so absolutely even then I, there's there's something to shoot yeah. i i i've been known i've been known to drive out to richmond for chasing fog yeah and one of my favorite images i've ever shot out at richmond was actually of a bus stop because it was the only thing i could make out in the fog it was so dense yeah. and i literally i actually had stopped the car because it was so thick and I looked across the road and here's this bus stop and it's just got the two lights coming into the shelter and that's all you could see. And I literally just grabbed the camera, yeah. ran across the road because I had a wide angle on. And <laughs> But I love it because it's so isolated. It, it, you know, it looks unbelievably yeah. spooky and mono. So, um, yeah, absolutely. There's, there's always something you can find. So Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So when, when we get out of lockdown, what's the plan? Are you got a project that you're cooking up or are you just going to go out and shoot? like you always have been? Um, I do have a project in the back of my mind. Um, if but it's a I, secret, I, don't, 
you don't have to tell us but you know no it is, yeah it's kind of it's in its it's very embryonic stages at the moment it's a potential i'm thinking about publishing a photo book um okay. but um and yeah, it's kind of it's very early stages at the moment, so I won't go into too much detail. But uh, sure. but other than that, mate, I'll, mate, I'm 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 very clean to completely delete my list of you know locations that got skies and just start from scratch again and just shoot everything and just start up went into the coast and just work my way down. <laughs> so yeah, just <laughs> I'm I'm so keen to shoot. I I um I went for a walk the other night down to my local ferry wharf um with my camera. Um, obviously all, all masked up with, with my, uh, my better half just to watch the sunset. And I took a couple of handheld shots just of the wharf and there was a little bit of color in the sky. It was all very yeah. nice. But I said to my wife, I said, Oh, it just, it just doesn't feel the same without, you know, setting up a tripod and, you know, getting yeah, out of a remote and putting some filters on yeah. and, and yeah. you know, dragging those clouds across the sky and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it didn't quite feel the same. So I'm just, I'm itching to, get back to the coast and, you know, get up at stupid o'clock and, and feel that water on my feet. So, yeah. Definitely, definitely. So what do you like to do when you're not out shooting? Um, if I'm not editing, um, yeah, I'm a bit of a, a bit of a reader, a bit of a movie watcher and um, obviously just, uh, you know, hanging out with my better half and, uh, and nice. you know, living life and recovering from work and stuff like that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but and generally, you know, come Thursday, I'm starting to plan what, what's going to happen on the weekend as far as shooting goes. So yeah, no, that's, that's kind of my routine. Very familiar. Very familiar. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I'll ask you this. I know you you didn't come up with uh, too many names about uh, sort of inspirational. Is there, are there any photographers out there that you think you know would be worthwhile me talking to on the podcast? Um, oh, geez, because we've kind of already had this conversation where I and the, everyone I suggested you'd, you'd already spoken to. So <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take that question on notice, I think, and I'll, I'll have another think and I might send you, you a list you, later. You can on. send me a list later. I mean, it, <laughs> I, I, I have got a long list. Of, uh, I'm um, sure you do. Yeah. So the thing is, yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to crowd everybody into the, the, the first month. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is the thing about Sydney, though. Just you know, just talking locally, it's such a big community here. So yeah. you're going to have a pretty long list of just talking to locals. You're going to have a lot of names to choose from. Yeah. So well, um, I'm I'm trying to spread the net wide, and uh, you know that's that's one of the reasons why I named the, the the podcast the way that I did with you know the world word world in it, uh, and you know coming up um, actually by this time. I probably will have uh, released uh, at least one or two international guests, but uh, I've got a few more coming up that I'll be recording in the in the next few weeks and uh, next month. So um, yeah, I'm I'm not going to restrict myself to Sydney, and I'm not going to restrict myself to, uh, to to Australia. I'm trying to uh, trying to spread the net as far and wide as I can. I'm also mm -hmm. trying not to. You know, just go for you know people with large followings or, or you know the bigger names out there. I, I want a few of those, obviously, um, yep. because a they're interesting to talk to, but b they can also spread the word. But uh, 
you know, I mean, I, I've got people on the list with, you know, very small followings in Instagram, you know, of, you know, only, you know, five, 600, 800 people. But yep. their work is absolutely yeah. on quite point. Often they're the, quite often they're the best accounts to follow. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And for me, it, it is about finding those sort of lesser-known people as well that are doing absolutely amazing work and, you know, seeing yeah, if they'll talk to me and, and uh, you know, if they do, great. If they don't, that, that's great too. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to get too precious if, uh, if somebody yeah. doesn't uh, get back to me and say they want to talk to me. Oh, you know, I don't want to talk to me sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> You're not that bad, Grant. No, <laughs> I try not to be. <laughs> anyway, all right, well, thank you. Oh, actually, there is one more question that I've got to ask, which... The uh, most important one. The most important one, and uh, everybody knows what this is going to be. Violet Crumble or Crunchy? <laughs> oh, Violet Crumble. How dare you mention crunchy in the same sentence as violet crumble <laughs> blasphemy uh, it's, it's funny you ask that because i literally in just recently i did a, a care package exchange with uh someone in america and we did an exchange of local treats yep so they sent some american you got Hershey's and, and all that sort and stuff of like that. Stuff, yeah. I, I i sent over some tim tams and and i've i sent over a violet crumble and I told them, I said, make sure this is the last thing you eat. Yeah. And I got a message from them saying, that was the most sensational thing I've ever eaten. <laughs> I said, well, unfortunately, you can't get them in the States, but I'm happy to, yeah. you know, send them over on commission. But uh, they're, they're an know, interesting crumble all the way. Uh, fair enough. Well, that, that, <laughs> that, uh, that, that also, I do have the other, the other most important question. I thought I'd mix it up. Serena, Serena Jackson gave me that one. Uh, pineapple on pizza. Oh, that's 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 a two-part answer. Uh, yes, until you go to Italy and eat pizza in Italy. Yeah, no, I'm I'm, then, I'm I'm behind. And then you realize you realize how blasphemous it actually is. But yeah, I don't mind pineapple <laughs> on pizza. I'm not I'm not a purist. Uh, good eye. Good day. All right. Well, thank you very much for uh, taking the time, Glenn. It's been an absolute joy talking to you. And, uh, Thanks, mate. Really enjoyed catching up with you. We'll have to uh, get out shooting again at some point. Absolutely. Um, it's, uh, it, it, it's been a while, but, you know, I'm sure we'll get there. Absolutely. Fingers crossed, mate. Thanks very much for having me on. It's been, it's been fantastic. Not a problem. Where can people find your work? Um, okay. Well, I have to explain the bizarre name for my, uh, my Instagram page. Um, so if people look for iGear Photography on Instagram, that's A-E-G-I-R Photography, or just search my name, Glenn Crouch, on Instagram, you'll find me. Um, and I've got a website with my portfolio on it, which is iGearPhotography.com. Fantastic. All right. Thanks again, mate. Thanks, mate. Have a good one. You too. Thanks for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work in this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. I'm Grant Swinburne and hope to see you out shooting soon. Mm-hmm.